Well, we've been in a series called Homewords. Homewords, words that transform our home. And these are important words because we all know that we've hit seasons as families where we've needed a transformation to happen in our homes. There's just been stuff that's happened that kind of works against the foundation of our family life. And we need these words maybe to bring some healing and then also to bring some building and some strength to our futures. And so we've talked about words like hope and forgiveness and blessing and honor and truth. And if you've missed any of those homeward messages, I just encourage you to go to our website, albanync.org, go to messages tab, and you'll see all those available there for you to listen to. Or if you happen to have a smart device and you listen to podcasts like via iTunes, you can also find us there and you can kind of catch up with where we've been. Well, on a rainy day in August, uh, several years back, a couple of young American adventurers decided up kind of spontaneously to climb one of the tallest peaks within Switzerland, which is called Mount Dome. Uh, it's even taller than the Matterhorn. It's just shy of 15,000 feet in elevation. And they decided this one particular day to go climb to see if they could make at least the halfway point, because halfway up the mountain, there is a hut, they call it, the, the dome hut, where you can find some warmth and refreshment and stay the evening to continue your journey the rest of the, the, the way the next day. And so being August, these guys figured, well, we, you know, it's nice weather right now. It was a little chance of rain, but they figured, hey, what's, you know, it's August. What's going to be the problem here? So they begin their journey up the mountain, and, and things are growing, going great until they clear the tree line. And pretty soon the temperature begins to drop and the weather formation looks very threatening. In fact, as the temperatures drop, snow begins to fall around 6 o'clock at night. These men begin to get a little worried because they haven't yet reached the halfway hut and uh, they weren't prepared for cold weather. They thought, hey, we just, we'll stay to the path, we'll we'll get there eventually. And so they kept journeying up the path, but pretty soon, around 8 o'clock, darkness fell. And they hadn't yet reached the destination. And with snow and with darkness, now their visibility was severely restricted. They could hardly see the path in front of them. They anticipated being to the halfway hut before dark, so they didn't even bring light to guide their path. So now they're cold, they're wet, they're facing hypothermia, and now fear is set into their hearts, and they're facing certain death. They have no idea what is going to happen to them. In fact, they can't even see, again, the path in front of them. They're not sure if they're about ready to step off the cliff or staying on a path. And just about when all hope was lost, a miracle happened. Further up the mountain, all of a sudden, there was a beacon of light. And as the young men looked at light, hope began to rise in their heart. Because that light for them was almost like a lighthouse directing them to safety. So how'd the light get there? Well, the staff that happened to keep the halfway hut, every night they go out and they light a kerosene lantern on the porch, just in case there happens to be a climber who might need a little light to guide their way in the darkness of the evening. And as the young men saw that light, they began to to make their way toward the light And after a short amount of time, although they were cold to the bone, they made it into the safety and the warmth and the nourishment they needed within that hut. And uh, they staved off death at least by one more day as they found shelter and hope in that hut. You know, that story kind of reminds me of kind of our family life. Isn't it true that there are times when storms come kind of out of nowhere? 
and they strike upon our homes. And in those moments, the real who we are, the real faith that we have is proven or not. I'm glad that in this story, there was somebody thoughtful enough to light a lantern and put it outside the front porch. But the question is, as parents, as grandparents, are we intentional? Are we diligent to light a light, to guide our family through the storms and the dark moments that our culture will bring our way? Because, friends, you've got to admit, it's getting darker by the day. Not, not necessarily physically, but just spiritually. In our culture, we're sensing the, the pull away from kind of the, the moral fabric we have as a nation. And we know that our kids today are dealing with stuff that we never dreamed that we would be dealing with in our childhood. And how important it is that we as parents and grandparents are diligent to let that light be a beacon that will guide them onto safe paths as they grow and develop in their young spiritual lives and then maybe eventually as an adult own their own spiritual faith. And so today, a a home word that I believe will give us a bright future as a family, but not only a future, but beyond that, an eternity of hope that our children and our grandchildren can have. So I want to talk today about faith, about faith, and how critical this word is to our homes. So if you want to follow along today uh, using your smart device or your, your iPhone or your tablet or whatever, you can use the Bible app. It's a free Bible app, version Bible app by Life Church. Find it in your app store, download it. There's instructions on the screen for how to find it. Or if you follow us on any of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, there's directions right there for you to get the instructions on how to get that app. And we encourage you to interact with this message. If you want also the back of your bulletin, there's just a space to take notes or draw pictures. Um, or whatever you want to do, all right? Play tic-tac-toe. Um, but we encourage you to interact with this message today. And then also, you can also go at albanync.org to our messages area of our website, and notes are able there to download as well. Well, prior to being a, a lead pastor here at Oak Creek, I, I had spent about 17 years of ministry as a children's pastor. And I loved to work with children. In fact, I still do. I still love working with kids. In fact, occasionally I'll substitute for Carrie on a Wednesday night because I just love being with kids. But what I discovered as a children's pastor is, is over the years of those 17 years, I began to see kind of a shifting in their mindset where I became, in their eyes, kind of the spiritual leader for their children. And while I loved being a pastor, I always knew that my goal was simply to come alongside families and encourage them in the faith upbringing of their children. I was never meant to be the only one speaking spiritually into their life. Now, I loved what I did on Sundays and Wednesdays and the activities that we did, but I knew that my job alone would never raise these children with a vibrant faith that most parents want their kids to have. But here's what still today as pastor concerns me. I I, I am growing even more concerned even today about the diminishing focus that I see in homes across America when it comes to faith development within the context of home. In fact, the, st- the stats are kind of alarming. Uh, for those of you who like some resource that helps you in this idea, here's a book I want you to write down. I'm going to quote from it, but it's called The Sticky Faith Guide for Your Family. The Sticky Faith Guide for Your Family by Dr. Dr. Kara Powell. Any of the sticky faith stuff is, is great by Dr. Kara Powell. But there's one called The Sticky Faith Guide for Your Family. And in this book, she says this. 
multiple studies indicate that 40 to 50% of young people, like your kids, who graduate from a church or a youth group, probably very much like our own here, right? They will leave their faith and the church after they head to college. 40 to 50%. And this is within the evangelical Christian homes. This isn't like homes that have no religious... This is, from, this is re- stats related to Christian homes. 40 to 50% of our Christian kids will leave the faith as they head to college. And I think... Now, even since this book was written, this, this may even still be a little bit conservative as we see the, those numbers trending upward of kids who are abandoning their, their faith, especially with the cultural kind of angst against Christianity. And so we see this continual numbers rise, and that should cause us fear. In fact, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about your own family. Maybe you're a grandparent today or you're a parent. I want you to think about your kids And to yourself, recognize that those stats may apply in your home, that half of your children may leave the faith as they enter young adulthood. And that should alarm us incredibly as parents. It should cause us to kind of of wake up. And the question is, why the staggering numbers? Why, Why are we seeing an increase in this? And I think the primary reason is that families just aren't investing the time or energy into developing a strong faith in their children. And the average family simply does not take a proactive role in in building the spiritual lives of their children. And maybe you don't feel equipped to know how to do that. And if that's the case, talk to me. I'll, I'll, I'll help you find some resource. But the reality is it has to happen in the home. We spend, as parents, thousands of dollars and hundreds and thousands, perhaps, of hours on what we consider important things like vacations or extracurricular activities, sports, the arts for our children, uh, private school maybe, what their college and career plans are, and we spend a lot of time coaching them along those ways. But the average household in America, when it comes to faith development, they too often allow circumstance and chance to affect the development of the faith in the lives of their children. And here's what you and I know to be true. Without intentionality, the faith of your family is likely to drift, and so is the faith of your kids. This happens to you personally. You know that when you slack off and you don't spend time in the Word reading the Bible for yourself, which obviously we all should be doing as Christians, and you don't take time in your own disciplines of prayer or quiet time or meditation or thinking about you know, how to follow the Lord in those regards, you know that as you begin to see that diminish in your life, you know what happens. Your faith drifts. Because the trials and the pressures of life come, and you're just vulnerable. And because of that, your faith drifts. And the truth is, without having that intentionality as parents or as couples, this isn't just a you know, parent to child or grandparent to grandchild. This is even among spouses working together on this. Without intentionality, the faith of your home is likely to drift. So what are we to do? How can we build and develop faith in our family? And, and friends, this could be a year's worth of courses. I can't go into that kind of detail today. But I want to talk about and talk around this issue so we understand and feel the challenge to step up in this area, especially as parents and grandparents and married couples. So the first and most important thing to understand is this, that faith development starts at home. you got to understand that. Faith development starts at home home. 
Grab your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible or a smart device, there are Bibles in the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that. It's our gift to you. We want you to be a person who reads God's Word, but take that. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And what we find in Deuteronomy 6, this is an Old Testament book, so we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all right? Moses was the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and Deuteronomy 6 is kind of like a, a, a hallmark passage for Jewish people. It's called the Shema. It's something they were taught to memorize and to quote regularly. And I want you to hear it in the context in which this core doctrine of Jewish faith takes place. All right, Here's, here it goes. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me, this would be Moses, to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may Increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now, here's kind of the the crux of the passage, all right? Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. We, we, We probably have heard those words before, right? Primarily because Jesus also said these words as he talked about the greatest commandments, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, all right? We get that, but then listen how Moses continues. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So as you listen to that passage, here's the question. What is the setting that Moses describes as the place where faith is developed? It is the home. It doesn't say take them to the tabernacle or take them to the temple and have them whatever, right? That's not what Moses says. It happens right in the context of the home. It's within family relationship, which echoes the fact that faith starts at home. And notice, it's not just on Sundays or the Sabbath in the case of Jewish people. Look at what he says. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I mean, that's a daily occurrence, right? Hopefully you got up today. That's why you're here. Um, It's it's talking about the day-to-day stuff of life. So does that make the role of the church then not very important? That's not what I'm trying to say today. I know that there's a big push toward kind of this individual private faith and why do I need the church? I I have this private faith and, and I can raise my kids in this private faith. Well, the reality is if you have a private faith, it's probably so private your kids don't even know. Okay, so this is, a, this is why church does become important, and we're going to talk about it. But the real stuff of life where, where faith and life kind of collide is in the home. It's in the day-to-day stuff of home. And as already noted in the past when I've preached about this, the average church-going family in America attends church, get this, three hours a month. That's the average churchgoer. That means they, they come about twice a month on Sundays. They don't come out Wednesday nights, but they come out at least twice a month on Sundays. 
And so some of you, I know I'm already making you mad at me because that's you. You go only about twice a month, but that's average now, okay? Three hours a month. I'm not, I'm not saying that's permissible now. I'm just saying that's what most people do. If you came every time the doors of the church were open on Sundays and Wednesdays, and if you went to a life group, that moves from three hours to 10 hours. Now, let me break it down for you where the numbers hit the, hit the road here. Okay, listen. In one month, there are 720 hours. So if you came to church, were involved in a life group, and you came on Wednesday night, so 10 hours, if you did everything that was provided by the church, you are only here 1% of the month. 1%. If you're the average church-going American, it is 0.4% of your month. Now, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate that. And the point is, it is a very small influence. Important, yes, here you receive some instruction, and you get to hear me preach and yell at you sometimes, and, and your kids are in some great spiritual environments, and those are neighborhood kids now, and in preschool and in youth. I mean, it's important. But here's what we have to understand. 99% of life is happening outside of the walls of this church. And how many know your crisis, your hard times, your illness, they're not happening here in the walls of this church. They're happening where life happens most of the time, which is in the stuff of life, of home, of family time. That's where things really happen. And so if the church has 1%, or for most Americans, 0.4% of the month of that submission to biblical teaching and training, then friends, that's not going to be enough. There's just no way that 1% or 0.4% is going to have enough, enough impact. Now, it's important. It's, it's critical. But it is not the most important aspect of faith development. In fact, a, a youth pastor once put it this way. We can't out-teach what you teach at home. We're not that good. We can't out-teach what you teach at home. We're just not that good. And the reality is the hours and the 99% of life that happens cannot necessarily be undone or redirected by the 1% of time that a pastor or a youth pastor or a children's pastor or a preschool director spends with your children. So what are we to do? Well, the second most important thing to understand is this. The primary influence on faith development in the home are the parents. The grandparents, if you are the primary caregiver of your grandkids, it is the one who spends life day by day with those youth and children. You are the primary, the primary influence. I'm going to come back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, but I'm going to read a couple of verses from the message translation because I believe that Eugene Price kind of captures the essence of what this is saying. Listen to these words. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you, and then get them inside your children. Did you notice the progression? Get them inside of you, and then get them inside of your children. Now, for those of you who are frequent flyers out there, you know that every pre-flight, there's an instruction given by the stewardess. Or there's a video that is shown. And in part of that instruction about the safety features of this 
747 or whatever you happen to be flying in, right? It, when, they, when they begin to go through their script, there's a part that goes something like this. In case of emergency, oxygen mask, or sometimes it says a change in cabin pressure, oxygen mask will drop down in front of you. Please pull the mask down towards your face and place the mask over your own mouth and nose. If you are traveling with a child, please attend to yourself, what? First and then the child. Now, as a parent, you you hear that kind of script and go, well, that's never going to happen. I'm going to do my kids first. I mean, there's something within us that is kind of this protector and and the one who wants to save them. And so there's the sense that, no, I'm going to be the one who will go last. I'm going to get my kids masked up first. But there's a reason why, friends, the script writes it that way. And it's not because the airline doesn't care about your kids. Here's why. Studies have shown, in fact, you can watch YouTube videos, they're kind of funny, that NASA has, has done some tests on what happens when you're in high elevation like you would be in a flight, and there is a sudden change in air pressure in the cabin, which means the oxygen level becomes automatically lower, because we all know the higher up you go, what happens to the oxygen level. It's thinner, right? It's lower. And so as that begins to happen, hypoxia sets in. Now, some of you might have found yourself in a position where you were low in oxygen. You ever been there before? When you get low oxygen levels, things begin to get a little fuzzy. In fact, it has been proven that as hypoxia sets in, it is hard to recognize shapes and faces. And here's what happens. When there's a sudden change in cabin pressure, it is... It is quick, friends. It's not like, sometimes it depends on how high you are, but it is very quick within seconds. And if you don't attend to yourself first, you can't be a healthy you to help affix the mask to your child. In fact, in the process of trying to put the mask on your child, you may succumb to hypoxia and pass out before you can safely get them squared away. So what they say is take care of yourself first so you're a healthy you who can help your child. Now, Application here is pretty straightforward when it comes to our faith development at homes. You've got to be a healthy you as a parent. You've got to have a healthy faith yourself for that to be something then that you can intend and attend to your child. That's why I love that progression. Get it inside of you first and then into your children. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I used this passage a couple weeks ago, but I want to bring it up again because it shows the impact of this. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. What happened? Lois and Eunice got it. They had to have this faith in them. And that faith in them then got inside of Timothy. He was the product of a grandparent and a parent who got this right. And your strategy for developing an active faith in your family starts by assessing the vibrancy of your own faith. And the truth be told, most Christians who come to church just on Sundays twice a month do not feel very adequate in their faith. In fact, uh, their devotion time, their, their personal time in the word or praying is, is just, it's negligible. It's even hard to notice. Well, I have a private faith. Yeah, I get it. 
But don't keep it so private that nobody else sees it, especially your kids. He says in, in Deuteronomy, and I love that, the, the, the terms, impress them on your children. In case you don't know what that means, in, in the Webster Dictionary, it says this, that to impress means to apply pressure so as to imprint. And it means to produce a vivid impression of something. And the reality is, friends, if we want to have that impression on our children, then it has to be within us in order to leave an impression. So here's the question. What are you doing as a parent or a grandparent? What are you doing as a spiritual head in your home that will leave a faith impression on your children? What are you doing that will translate in leave an impression from you onto your children? And if you don't know the answer to that question, then I think that's where we start paying attention and go, whoa, I haven't really thought about this. I haven't thought about that much. But in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, this passage is talking about Abraham, where God says, for I have chosen him, being Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Ephesians, in case you just think it's an Old Testament thing, here's Ephesians chapter 6. We love this chapter as parents because it starts in verse 1 with children obey your parents, and we love to use that. But you've got to pay attention now to verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6, which says this to us dads. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I, I think this is an interesting verse. Because when we think about exasperate, we just think about causing our children to become angry. Because in Scripture it says, you know, do not provoke your child to anger, right? We get that. And we're pretty good at parents provoking our kids to anger just the same way they're pretty good at provoking us to anger, right? But I think when you look at this verse and you look at the contrast, right? He, he says that, that the fathers are not to exasperate their children, but what are they to do instead? Instead. So that means he's contrasting two points here. Instead, train them. Or bring them up in the training of the Lord. What does that mean? It means, dads, nothing will exasperate your children or their faith more than seeing you be a hypocrite. It means that we have to instead bring them up in the training of the Lord. So we see this rule, and moms, it applies to us. Maybe you're a single parent and you're a mom. I get it. It applies to you. It's this idea that I cannot exasperate my children or harm their faith by being a hypocrite. Instead, I, I need to train them in the ways of the Lord. Now, not just Scripture deals with this, but there was an article written in Huffington Post. The article was titled this, The Number One Reason Teens Keep the Faith as Young Adults, written by David Briggs. And the point of this article wasn't just evangelical. It was just kind of faith in general and, and religion in general. But I want you to hear the essence of the article because he bases his article upon a report that was done, a national study of youth and religion. And the study was conducted by the University of Notre Dame. And there was the sociologist named Christian Smith who led up this research. I'm just going to kind of read some of the findings that I found in this article because I think we need to hear this as parents. This is a this is a secular magazine, okay, dealing with the topic of faith. Listen to what it says. Mothers and fathers who practice what they preach and preach what they practice are far and away the major influence related to adolescents keeping the faith into their 20s. 
according to new findings from a landmark study of youth and religion. Just 1% of teens ages 15 to 17 raised by parents who attached little importance to religion were highly religious in their mid to late 20s. In contrast, 82% of children raised by parents, and get this, who talked about faith at home. This isn't drag their church, their kids to church twice a month, okay? Who talked about their faith at home, attached great importance to their beliefs, and they were active in their faith and were themselves religiously active as young adults. What's this tell us? That Proverbs 22, 6 is true. Train up a child in the way they should go or, train, or start children off in this translation the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. He goes on to say this, that other factors such as youth ministry or clergy or service projects, which a lot of churches are all about doing, which are great, or religious schools pale in comparison Talking about parents here, okay? No other conceivable casual influence comes remotely close to matching the influence of parents on the religious faith and practices of youth. And he ends that statement with this. Parents just dominate. So parents, you want to dominate? That's awesome, right? We like to go, dominate, right? You dominate in the development of your child's faith. But are you doing it right? Are you dominating in a correct way? He goes that one of the strongest factors associated with older teens keeping their faith as young adults was having parents who talked about religion and spirituality at home. He says this, that the role of parents is even more critical today because there's lower trust in organized religion, which we understand, and there are over-busy families who no longer have time to make church attendance a priority. And he says there are also powerful cultural scripts or voices that discourage parents from taking an active role in faith development. Here's a couple of them. He says that after age 12, the role of parents recedes. You ever notice that, parents? Maybe it's more like nine. (laughs) Your, Your role begins to recede as they begin to become more aware of peers and other things. After age 12, the influence of peers, the media, music, and social media take over. I think, parents, that's why most social media recommends that your child not be 13 until they enter that realm. And I continue to be amazed at young children already accessing social media, which there's a whole other world of social media's impact on depression and suicide among teens that's well worth a good read. But there's a high influence. Get this. Also, cultural messages that encourage parents to turn their children over to experts, like I already talked about, is a high voice of the culture. Just turn your kids over to experts. They'll fix them. Wrong. You will do more than a church will ever do as parents. He goes on to say, for, for the, their part, parents need to realize a hands-off approach to religion has consequences. And this is the concluding statement, which you got to hear this, parents. It's powerful. Parents, for better or worse, are actually the most influential pastors of their children. Parents set a kind of glass ceiling of religious commitment above which their children rarely rise. So you as parents set a lid. 
by the, the way you're choosing to do this now. You're creating a lid. And my prayer has always been that I want my kids to have a more vibrant and active faith than I do right now as a 47-year-old pastor. I want them to, to certainly exceed where I am, but that means I have to keep growing and developing as an individual, that that faith may also be translated through my acts and through my example to my children and now to my grandchildren. It's very clear in the Bible the primary role of a parent is to train children who will not only be faithful to their relationship with God, but who will also develop their own vibrant faith. And 82% will do that if they see it and hear about it in the home. So faith development at home is where it's got to happen. Because a child's faith is very dependent upon the examples that they see at home. So if you want a vibrant faith, then it's got to be something that you are living out within the context of your home on a daily basis. But here's the truth, and we all know it. This doesn't happen naturally. We don't wake up thinking, you know what, I need to train my kids today spiritually. It's, it's, we, we just don't think about it until one of our kids all of a sudden has a bit of an opposing viewpoint on life compared to what we've had. And we go, how in the world did you reach that conclusion? It's because somebody had influence, friends. More influence than you had. And sure, we're all going to question there's a thing we all hit as teens especially, a crisis of belief where we, we have to kind of wrestle with our own faith and the faith of our parents and then eventually come to have it be our own faith. We've all been through those moments where it's like, well, you question stuff, I get it. But if there's an authenticity in the home about faith, that becomes something that a child will internalize. In fact, Psalm 78, and I really don't have time to go into it, but Read it, okay? Just read Psalm 78 on your own. But here's the, the crux of the passage. It basically says this, that we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of his power and the wonders he has done, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, and then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commandments. And for parents of teens, there's even a more critical piece here. You may have a great belief individually, but what has the greatest influence on your teen is the faith they perceive that you have. You may have great intentions, great belief, but what are they seeing? What are they perceiving about your belief? Because what you have inside of here, if it's not leaking out in the way you live every day and not led by example, then they're going to make decisions based on their perception of your faith. And if your faith doesn't look good on you, then most kids would say, why would I want to do that? Right? So it's not just about what you think about yourself as a parent or a grandparent. It's what they perceive of you. And here's the question that uh, you know, I, I think scares me, but yet it's something we have to think about as parents. If I were put on trial for being a Christian, what evidence could my kids offer to convict me? 
What am I doing as a parent, as a grandparent, as an influencer in my home that would give them evidence that I'm a Christian, that I'm a follower of Jesus? Just dragging them to church on Sundays? Friends, we need a little more than that. Because dragging kids to church on Sundays and Wednesdays will not sustain them when the storms of real life strike the shores of their life. They've got to see it in us. And I'm so glad, friends, that my parents, personally, in my home of upbringing, I'm, I'm glad that they decided to embody an authentic faith. They weren't perfect. And friends, let me tell you, this isn't a challenge to say you've got to be perfect to do this, because Lord knows none of us are. I'm not perfect as a parent. None of us are. I get that. But I'll tell you this. You don't have to be perfect But if you're a hypocrite, it will harm the faith development of your child. And I'm glad that I grew up in a home that was authentic, that was transparent, that demonstrated faith not just by dragging us three boys to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, which we did. Church was a priority. But you know what? That's not where my faith was developed the strongest. You know where it was developed? When I saw difficult things hit our family. And I saw how my parents chose to respond to that with faith. How you'd see them praying about it. How you'd see them being faithful with their resources to the Lord. How you would see them in their Bible. Not because the pastor said, open your Bibles, and that's the few times the, the spine of your Bible is cracked, but because they wanted to read it at home. When I began to see that, yeah, I probably wasn't a great Christian growing up as a teen, but those were the things that developed faith in me. I thank God for my Sunday school teachers, my youth pastors. I, I, they were all wonderful people, but my home validated everything the church was saying. Does your home support what these kids are learning? Sundays and Wednesdays when they're here. Because, as the youth pastor said, we can't unteach what's being taught at home. We're just not that good. So, friends, as parents, as grandparents, we got to wake up to this. You've heard the statement, and I'll say it again Christianity is always just one generation from extinction. If all of our kids in this group of people, if all of our kids and grandkids decided they weren't going to serve Jesus, this church is gone. Again, it's not about church, but I'm talking about the faith that this church preaches about. My goal is to encourage you as parents to do the best we can, but do you have a plan? I have written down, and I'm not going to share it with you because I don't have time, but I've written down a plan. By the time my kids leave the home, these are things I I want them to embody in their life and in their faith. You might create a plan for their sports schedule and for their music stuff and everything, but do you have a plan for their faith development? And if your plan is go to church, then you better revisit the plan. Because 99% of life is happening right where you live. So parents, grandparents, the burden is on us. And I have a sense 
that all of us probably need to take a look at this again. My goal is not to condemn any of you, because Lord knows I've already preached it myself this week over this message. But my goal is to say, friends, it's time to wake up. It's getting harder to live out our Christian faith within our culture. And our homes better be a refuge where kids are growing and developing and what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it looks like in the context of their home. So maybe it's time to think about what, what are we doing? How are my kids picking up this faith? What's happening at home? Do we even talk about faith at home? And if you need some resource, come talk to me. Maybe we'll do a Wednesday night class coming up on how to develop faith at home. But let's at least try something this week to make a difference. If nothing, maybe it's just praying with your kids before they go to bed. Or when you have your grandkids over. I know you have a limited time with them, maybe even more limited than church does, but maybe you just take some time to pray with them and encourage that faith. Let's pray. Father, this morning, each one of us, I think, feels the challenge. And God, I I don't want that challenge to make us feel defeated. Because I know there are probably some, some parents whose kids are no longer in the home, and maybe today they're not even serving Christ, and they realize that maybe this wasn't the way it played out in their home. Maybe to them it was a very private faith that didn't come off the shelf Monday through Saturday. The goal is to not condemn, but to wake us up to the reality that faith starts at home. And tomorrow is a new day. And we can begin doing something tomorrow that turns the corner on developing faith in our homes because we know Deuteronomy tells us why so that it may go well I don't doubt that any parent or grandparent in this room wants it to go well with their kids their grandkids but let us not leave that to chance or circumstance let's become intentional and not only speaking our faith but living it as that beacon of light that will guide them through the darkness and the storms that undoubtedly life will bring, that they might reach adulthood with a vibrant, authentic faith that we have impressed upon them, not accidentally, but intentionally. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name.